0: that your truth will be spoken into our hearts, realigning things internally within us and placing courage and wisdom within each and every one of us to be able to walk out your word in power in our everyday lives. Father, I thank you that today you put the deposit of your word within each and every one of us. And I pray that we water that, we fertilize it, we guard it, and we bring it to fruitfulness in our lives. And I pray in Jesus' name, this morning. Amen. Well, welcome to church and uh, to this, which is part eight of a series that I've been doing. There's another two parts yet to come, um, but it's about tool time. Um, I, I felt God uh, speaking to me through a book, and it was a powerful book that um, I, I thought, it's a shocking title for a book, but uh, the, the simplicity and the practicalness of the Stuff inside the book was absolutely transforming for me in the way that I've uh, approached uh, talking with people about Christ. Uh, The book is The Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations and it walks through uh, nine simple practical things that every single person can do to have a spiritual conversation with someone who lives different from us and who may believe different from us. Um, 1 Peter three fifteen says always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have but do it with gentleness and respect and, and I don't know about you but you've probably experienced it to some level uh, at some point that uh, we've heard stories of, of people doing evangelism on a soapbox on a street corner and telling everybody that they're going to hell unless they uh, give their lives to Christ and, and I, I personally uh, think that You know, there's something intrinsically wrong when the church is only known for what it's against instead of what it's for. And it's my heart that we would be known as a church that people would know what we're for. And we're for families. We're for uh, people coming into a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ because we believe it's one of the greatest things that a person can ever do is give their lives to Christ and see their lives just transformed in the twinkling of an eye. I'm not saying that all our problems go away, but I am saying that to have a life Uh, Giving relationship with Jesus is an absolutely amazing journey and an adventure of a lifetime. And, uh, and, you know, as we start to to live our lives and we start to follow Jesus, like he gives us the invitation, come and see, and we go on this journey with him. uh, Our lives do become different. We're not the same people that we were, praise God. You know, I needed to change. There was some thing, People say, that you know, oh, you're just getting brainwashed as a, as a Christian. Well, I've got to tell you, my brain needed washing as a Christian. Uh, so, uh, as a Christian, because, you know, sometimes you get saved, but, you know, the, the mind's not sanctified and, and you need to do some things a little bit differently. So there's this, we go on this journey where we, we start to understand what God's doing and we, we, we demonstrate a different life. And, and sometimes in our lives, we have people say to us, you know, because they see something different about us, we, they see a different attitude maybe, they, they see a graciousness or a, a servant-heartedness or they see something that's, that's you know, it's outside of the norm. And they come to you and they say, what is it that's different about you? There's something different. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something different about you. What is it? And that's an open door for a person to walk through and say, you know, well, I've got this thing about my life, this person about my life that has helped to to transform me into the person that I am. And it would be our prayer that we would hear them then say, I want what you've got. I I, I see that there's something different about you that is attractive enough in in you that I, I say to myself, I want what you've got. And we can then lead them to to a relationship with Jesus, and they commit their lives to a process of discipleship and transformation. And that's our heart. That's why we've got a salvation board. We're praying for people that we can uh, introduce to to Christ in that way. So this series has talked about nine simple arts of uh, of. Spiritual conversations. We talked about noticing and praying and listening, asking questions of loving and welcoming uh, as a part of this so far. And there's some other things that we're going to talk to about as well. I've, I've uh, put these these practices, these these arts, for want of a better term, into practice. Uh, only uh, last week, it was my incredible. Privilege to sit down after running 5Ks on a Saturday morning at the park run. And, and I'm sitting on this, this low wall and I'm trying to, to get my breath back. I'm trying to swallow my heart because it keeps wanting to jump out of my mouth because uh, I've put in a hard one. And uh, I'm sitting down next to a guy that uh, I've become friends with uh, uh, through the process of the park runs. And we're just sitting down talking to each other. And, and he's saying, so uh, what made you... Want to be a pastor? Because he found out that I was a pastor. And I I started to explain that. And and I said, you know, he says uh, uh, some things about religion and And that whole deal. And I said, well, what do you do for a a living? And I started asking some questions. And and he's a a molecular biologist by trade. And he's working towards, I don't know which is is higher, but he's going for the the top end of of educational uh, experience. So I'm not sure if it's a doctorate or PhD. One of those, he mentioned both of them in the conversation. Um, But uh, his his, his field of study is in finding a cure for cancer. And I said, mate, uh, we're on the same path. How how uncanny is that? We're on the same path. You're doing it from a scientific point of view. I'm doing it from a spiritual point of view. What a great conversation to have. But we do that because our eyes have been opened to a simple practical means of asking questions and delving into and showing genuine interest in, in what he's doing and what another person's doing. We're asking because we, we're, we're interested in them, we, we value them enough, not because we want to see him say, although that's part of it, but because we're interested in them as a person. And when we start to show genuine interest in them as a person, they tend to sit up and take notice more realising that they're not a project, that we do genuinely care about them. And that's the same with this, this gentleman that I was talking with, just an incredible guy, so servant-hearted, so community-minded. He volunteers at the park run and does some amazing things. And that's the thing that we're talking about. So these, these nine uh, arts are simply tools or utensils that we can use to reach someone that God has placed within our reach to be able to talk to someone and have a spiritual conversation with them. Now, I've spoken about many tools that we could use. I've I've brought toolkits up the front. I've brought a couch up the front because that can be a tool. When we're talking about the the art of hospitality, a couch is a tool. Uh, Who knows that chocolates are a tool? I'm so glad they're a tool. I'd love to use that tool of chocolate right now. you know. So this morning I wanted to give you just maybe some stretch your imagination a little bit, but I've got a couple of pens, a pencil, a notepad, and an eraser. Here, these are tools. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but these are tools that we can use in communicating. They're tools that we can use to uh, write a note, write an apology, write a shopping list. We, we can use them as a tool to uh, you know, write a love letter. Husbands, when was the last time you wrote your lo- wife a love letter? Don't ask Jane that. It was a few weeks ago, actually, but there you go. So we can write a poem, a story, but they're tools that we can use to communicate something. When we learn how to write... When we learn how to put words together, it can be an incredibly powerful tool. And it's simply a matter of using those tools enough, practicing with them enough, that we become proficient in the use of a pen, a pencil, an eraser, and a notepad. It's not hard. Most of us here would be able to do that. Most of us could do that. It's the same with these tools that I talk about with having a spiritual conversation with people. The, the, the tool of noticing someone, just, just stopping for a moment and, and you just catch someone's eye and, and you think, why have I been attracted by that person? Praying for people, loving and so on. So these tools are really easy. They're not limited to a person of a certain age. They're not limited to simply a person of a certain gender. They're not limited to a person of a certain certain way of life, whether they're employed or unemployed, whether they're rich or they're poor, whether they live in the country or in the city. These tools that we talk about can be used by anybody in any certain time of day or night. In any season of the year, they can be used. All we need to do is to practice with them. And that's the whole premise of this tool time. So, this morning I'm going to be talking about the art of facilitating. Facilitating. See, becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't happen on a Sunday morning, I don't believe. I think that becoming a disciple of Jesus happens by following and obeying the Word of God on a daily basis and by being accountable to a small group of people. Becoming a disciple of Jesus happens by being in a small group and by making a conscious decision to learn and grow, to fail and to fall. Some of the greatest moments in my life of learning have come through failing. And I'm not the only one. It's really good to learn from the failures of someone else, but I'm not that smart. So I learn through my own mistakes, so that's cool. Bill Murray, staff member of the Navigators, wrote a book called The Ways of the Alongsider. And he provided in that book 10 ways that we make disciples like Jesus. He says in this book, he says this, He says, Jesus does the unthinkable. He invites us in our weakness and our inexperience to be his helpers in the Great Commission. He recruits amateurs to come alongside friends to model behaviours such as how to love God, build friendships, read the Bible with others, tell stories, ask questions, and then encourage the application of the biblical truth that we learn. See, could it be that simple church Can it be this simple, that God is looking for ministry amateurs to walk alongside those who don't yet know him personally? Can our friendship with God enable us to guide others to have a relationship with him? My prayer is, yes, it can. The people come to me and say, there's something different about you. What is it? And I want what you have. That's my heart. That's what I believe that God wants us to do and to model in our community. So up to this point, we've looked at six simple practices in having one-on-one conversations with others who may live and believe differently from us. This morning, we are transitioning slightly to some of the skills to have that work in a group setting. Everyone say group setting. Individual actions affect just one person. However, when we facilitate a group conversation where people believe differently, that they can then explore their questions about faith, we have the the potential to multiply our efforts. Not only do we have ongoing planned opportunities for spiritual conversations, we can also join forces with other believers of Jesus and openly uh, uh, have a discussion around the issue of God, faith, and life. As I look at scripture, I'm encouraged and amazed at the powerful impact a small group of 12 people had, not just in their own generation, but throughout history. I look at the level of growth and wisdom and influence that this small group experienced in their own lives personally, but also in their world and ours as they walked with and centered their life around Christ the 12 disciples transformed the world through hanging around with Jesus for just 3 years. So I'm going to ask us this question this morning and the, you know the, there's some sermon notes that are available for this morning's message and if you haven't got any please let us know and I'll make sure that we can get some into your hand but this question I have is what could God do with us as a small part of a small group of people who are committed to a process of discipleship as we follow and learn from Jesus and his word. What could God do with us? Most of us, I think, learn when we discover truths for ourselves through a well-facilitated process. This means being part of a group or facilitating a group where learning and discovery are the objectives, not being an expert and thinking that we know it all. Jesus says in John chapter 1, verses 38 to 39, he says to, his, uh, to these guys that I referenced a little bit earlier, John's disciples, he he's turned to them, he said, saw them following him, and he said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he said, come and you will see. And I believe that that is a great way of starting to engage with people in our world, is by simply engaging them with simple questions, noticing them, praying for them, loving them, etc. Randall Arthur says, one who learns through the process of honest questioning, objective thinking and respectful challenging is more apt to know in the end what really is true and they'll also know why they believe it. At Infused Church, I want us to know what the truth is and know why we believe it. I think it's really important because when someone actually comes to us and says, why do you believe what you believe? I'd like to be able to have a response for that. I think it's important that we know why we believe what we believe. I want all our connect groups to be modeled around a facilitation style of small group, not a leader-orientated model, as I believe it provides an environment where people will discover for themselves what the Bible says and how it relates to them and the benefits of following Jesus. It's a place where you can join together in genuine relationship with people and get to know them and walk the journey of life with them. Facilitating spiritual conversations well actually accelerates spiritual transformation. It's a powerful thing that we can have. Let's watch a video for a minute.
1: Process, honest questioning, objective thinking, and respectful challenging is more apt to know in the end what is really true, and he will also know why he believes. Years ago, I worked as a Bible teacher in a Christian school. This not that I taught the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament ethics, and a class called Reformed Theology. Now, part of Reformed Theology was teaching on prayer. i got to tell you, I gave you some great lectures on prayer. The biblical examples of prayer, techniques for prayer, the history of prayer. My students could take tests and quizzes all day on prayer and do really well. But I realized something was missing. In order for my students to really want to pray, they would have to experience so I changed my philosophy. I declared every Friday be prayer day. and Instead of lecturing my students on prayer, we practiced praying together. The first week, we spent 45 minutes finishing the sentence, Lord, you are, out loud, offering our praise to God. When we were finished, kids told me they had a whole new understanding of what it meant to worship God and stand before him. The second week, we went across the street to the church We laid in the sanctuary, quietly, and I told kids for 40 minutes they were to listen for God's voice. When we were done, students had heard God say things to them that they had never heard before. And one girl told me now that she knew where she was supposed to go to college. The third week, we took kids and put them in the middle of a circle. We laid our hands on them and we prayed over them. On Monday morning, two kids couldn't wait to run back in my classroom to tell me that we should keep this praying thing going. Because they were at a party Friday night, they were about to do drugs, and then this prayer thing came up, and they threw the drugs in the fire. And they basically attributed that to us praying over them in class on Friday afternoon. Through these experiences of prayer, my students discovered for themselves what prayer was really all about. That's a lesson my lectures could never teach. Scottish theologian William Barclay put it like this. It is only when truth is self-discovered that it is appropriate. When a man is simply told the truth, it remains external to him, and he can quite easily forget it. When he is led to discover the truth for himself, it becomes an integral part of him, and he never forgets it. This whole concept, the idea of leading others to discover truth for themselves, is called facilitating. And it's something that God demonstrates throughout the Bible. For example, when Moses frees the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, let's face it, they're a lot like the Egyptians. They've lived there for 400 years. They've taken on Egyptian culture. God needs a them. He needs them to take on an identity that's consistent with being the people of God. Now, God could have chosen to lecture them or preach to them, teach them, or have Moses give these amazing sermons, but God didn't do it that way. Instead, He marched the Israelites into the wilderness where it was hot and dry, where food and water were scarce. And there, they learned to lean on God in ways they had never done before. From the wilderness, he leads them to Mount Sinai. There, they get to experience who God is. At one point, he has thunder and lightning and clouds and trumpets going off. And they experience what it means to have a reverence and fear of their God. And later, he moves down among them to be with them. And he's a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. God wanted the Israelites to discover for themselves the truth about who he is. When we think of evangelism today, most of us think it's all about words, all about gospel presentations. We have this truth that we want to teach another person, like a lecturer in a classroom. The truth is, our role is much simpler than that. We're just called to introduce people to our Savior so that they can experience what He's already doing in their lives. Everything else is reserved for God. He is the only one who can give people of their sin. He is the only one who can make Jesus' truth life-changing. He is the only one who can save. As a speaker, I am a firm believer in facilitating and creating a space for the Lord to move in. Once at the youth camp in Wisconsin, I asked the kids the question, do you believe that God wants to move deeply inside you to make changes that only he can make? So while the kids thought about that question, I hung up this Jewish prayer shawl, invited them to come down on their knees and get under the shawl. Lots of kids came, kneeled, and prayed. They discovered for themselves something I could never present to them. No matter how well I spoke or what I said, because the Lord met them there. And because the Lord met them and they discovered Him in a whole new way, they will never forget that night in a cold, dumpy camp chat. Through experiencing God's presence, their faith became real. I want to challenge you to stop being a gospel presenter, become a gospel facilitator for the people around you who are seeking. I like of your need for control, your judgments, your words, so you can make space for God to move. Because when God moves, miracles happen.
0: When God moves, miracles happen, and all we need to do is to facilitate that, learning the art of facilitating. At the start of this series, we discovered uh, there are generally two approaches to learning. There's the telling approach, and then there is the asking approach. In the telling approach, sometimes referred to as deductive learning, an individual acts as an expert telling listeners what they've learned about a particular topic. In other words, they're telling people or giving people information that leads the listeners to the conclusion that the teacher has already made. And whilst that happens, it becomes something that may be external to us and sometimes we forget that. In the asking or what uh, can be referred to as the inductive approach, a facilitator creates an environment in which participants can be active discoverers. A facilitator is a guide, not an expert. To facilitate means to make easier or less difficult or to help forward. Facilitation is actually learner-centred rather than teacher-centred. A facilitator's role is to help someone to learn. The whole process is on the learner, not the one who's leading the group. And let's face it, we've all got something to learn, even facilitators. And I think it takes the pressure off when we start to think of ourselves as being a facilitator, one who can simply ask good questions within a group setting, rather than thinking that we have to be the expert on a particular topic and then discount ourselves because I don't think that there's an expert in the room that can you know, just do about every single topic off the cuff. Jesus actually modelled facilitating in the way that he lived on the earth. Jesus seemed to meet people where they were in their understanding of God and their own personal spiritual journey. And rather than expecting them to grasp advanced principles that he knew would be over their heads or that they were not ready to receive, he simply facilitated. In John chapter 21, verses 1 to 19, we see the account of where Jesus, after his resurrection, has gone to the Sea of Galilee and he's reconnected with his, some of his disciples that are there. And Peter's there. And Peter's the one that rejected, uh, like not portrayed, but uh, uh what's the word i'm looking for denied. denied thank you he's the one that denied jesus um, at, at uh, the time that he was being uh, put on trial and stuff and and Jesus goes to peter and through the simple statement the simple st- sentiment that he, he conveys to peter in, in saying, Feed my sheep Jesus showed Peter that he was forgiven and could still be counted as Jesus' disciple. Jesus worked within Peter's framework of reference rather than a complicated teaching. And that's a challenge for us all. If we were to think about this, when we talk to people about God, do we, like Jesus, meet those people where they are in their brokenness and current understanding of faith, or do we... Expect them to know what we know about God and the Bible. Where is that for us? Jesus' invitation in John chapter 1, verse 39, where he says, Come and you'll see, was a theme that ran throughout his ministry with the 12 disciples, and it's an ongoing message for all who are curious about him. Jesus' primary focus was to facilitate learning and growth with his small group of disciples rather than overload them with information about God. He used everyday situations and circumstances that simply arose in their day. And he taught them about God by using a facilitating method. Jesus' primary focus was simply to facilitate learning and growth Core values play a particularly important role in this. Core values are building blocks for launching and facilitating a small group. And there's four core values for spiritual conversations with others of diverse spiritual lives, and they include self-discoverer. That's one of the core values that we would have, is that people grow and learn best when they discover truths from themselves through discussion and study. So my, when, when's the best time that you've ever learned something? Was it when someone told you something or did you discover it for yourself? For me personally, that my preferred learning style is I've got to figure stuff out for myself. As a, as a kid growing up, uh, I've got, I, I would have had if I'd have kept them all, a like, drawer full of, of wristwatches that have been taken apart. Because I needed to figure out how they put together. I can never put them back together once i pulled them apart, but I sure know what was inside of one now. Hey, what's your preferred learning style find that out but be open to that when you're talking to people try and discern their preferred learning style second one is safe place make it a safe place a place where it's an environment for spiritual growth where we preserve personal dignity and we facilitate third one is spirit. Let's let God's spirit lead us in in discovering things and being a guide to those who are spiritually open. And and Why is it that I could talk to this uh, molecular uh, biologist about things of of the spirit, knowing that we're trying to achieve the same ends but by different means? I pray with all my heart that he's successful in what he does. I'm not praying against him. I'm, I'm in partnership with him in seeing cancer defeated. And however we come about the, the end result, surely the, that if cancer's gone, we've succeeded in our objective. But too often, we see someone from a different background who believes differently and lives differently from us, we see them as perhaps as the, the enemy and being used of the enemy and and you know what they're into is is wrong and... And we've got to be against that stuff. Well, maybe we're in partnership together. Maybe we just need to ask some good questions about what led them on that track of where they're at in their life right now. Is this making sense? Cool, because it made sense in my head. Yeah, that's right. The fourth core value is scripture. We need to know and have the confidence to talk about the Bible. The life of Jesus is worth examination. So here's a question for us. Who among our friends may be spiritually curious? Maybe they're skeptics or they're seekers who might be open to being part of a group that reflects those qualities, those four core values. Somewhere to genuinely explore and discover for themselves things about God, faith, and life. This year, it'd be my desire to start something called a Q place. This comes out of the book by Mary Shelley, "The Nine Spiritual Arts of uh, Nine Arts of Spiritual Conversations." And what this is is an opportunity to get a group of people together who are spiritually curious. We don't get them there under false pretenses. We're not getting them there for a barbecue and then we suddenly spring a small group on them and say, oh, we're going to talk about the Bible tonight. No, just let's, let's pray about it. Who in your group of friends or acquaintances might be curious about discovering some things about God, about life, about faith, about why stuff's happening in and around the world today and maybe what the Bible has to say in response to that. Because I think that if we can discern who those people are and with maybe two other Christians, one or two other Christians with us, we could facilitate a group where people come to genuinely seek out answers about God, faith, and life itself. If you're interested in looking into that, come and see me afterwards. Because I believe it has huge potential. Because it doesn't have to be done in a home. It can be done in a coffee shop. It can be done in a workplace meal room. It can be done in any variety of different places. And start to have a spiritual conversation with someone about God, faith, and life. Maybe even write down their names and begin to pray for them now. There's space in your notes to write those names down. Use that as a a prayer list of people that you could actually pray for. Then there's Jesus was a facilitator himself. Throughout his ministry, Jesus allowed his disciples to see for themselves and to learn together as they discussed his actions, his teaching, his parables, and they wrestled together with what that meant. Some examples of that would be in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 20, where Jesus asks his disciples a couple of questions. He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? In other words, what do you believe that everyone else is saying? But then he asks a question that drills down on these guys themselves. He says, who do you say that I am? So he's discovering, he's facilitating a discussion about what they believe and they have a discussion about that. Matthew chapter 18, verse 12. Jesus asks his disciples, what do you think? If a man owns 100 sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? I wonder what discussion came out of that with the disciples. They're saying, well, why should we go after the one? I mean, they wandered off. It's their fault they're in the predicament that they are in now. Why should I go and chase after them? I wonder what sort of conversation that they had around that. In Luke chapter 2, verses 46 to 47, three days later, Jesus, okay, as a 12-year-old roughly, they finally, his parents, Mary and Joseph, finally discovered Jesus in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. What if we were to adopt a learner-centered way of facilitating conversations with others? If we did, wouldn't it benefit everybody? through genuine interest, a genuine curiosity, a genuine desire to know more about someone else than we already know. By doing that, we place value in their relationship. As a facilitator to others, it challenges everyone to be more engaged in the process. It teaches everyone to develop skills on how to think rather than just absorbing information. It encourages learners, and let's face it, that's all of us, to reflect on what we're learning and our understanding of it. We uh, have to accept responsibility for our own understanding by reflecting on what we're talking about, to analyze it, to critique it, new information, rather than passively accepting it. That's why I've got the sermon notes in your hands and I want to do this more and more because it's my hope that you'll go away this week, drill down on some of the questions here and start to challenge yourself about why you believe what you believe. Why do I believe the Bible? Why is the Bible important to me? Why is Jesus important to me? Why is is coming out on a Sunday morning for a couple of hours important to me? Why should I forgive someone? Why should I give and serve in church? These are great questions to challenge ourselves with, but to drill down on some of the things about the reasoning behind it. Because if we're not, if we're not drilling down, are we really growing as a Christian? Are we really following in the footsteps of Jesus? Are we coming along for the ride to come and see? Are we just here for a fix on a Sunday to just tick that box? I love yous. But I love you enough to say, you know what, we need to challenge ourselves sometimes. We need to slap ourselves up the side of the head and say, wake up. Why am I here? Because I want to be more like Jesus. I want to be around other people, and hear their stories of, of how they've interacted with people in their street and their neighbors, how they went and, 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 and did something amazing in the community, how they had faith to, to pray for someone in the community, you know, like maybe at the play group or something, and they just felt like they needed to, to reach out and see someone, a mum who was struggling with kids, and they helped out in that moment. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? Because you believe that Jesus would have done that. Educators in the 21st century are learning the principle that characterized so much of Jesus' approach, that people learn best when they discover truth for themselves. The success of the disciples, could it be attributed to the fact that Jesus drew out of them what they truly believed and helped them to discover truth for themselves? Why was it that Jesus says to the disciples, you know, after he's given this great big story about drinking my blood and eating my flesh and stuff like that, and and half is well, most of the people left, and then Jesus turns to the disciples and says, Are "You guys going to go too?" And Peter says to him, he "says Where else would we go? Only you have the words of life." How did he know that? How did he know that? What? brought him to that realization that Jesus has the word of life. Because he was on a journey with Jesus and Jesus drew out of them and revealed himself to them in those moments. He facilitated conversations. This week, there's some homework. In your notes, there's some Self-discovery, and there's some practice. So ask yourself this question. When was the last time you discovered for yourself something that changed your life? How did you, how did you discover the thing that changed your life? Then there's some practice. The next time you're in a small group of people... Think of ways to draw others out by asking good questions that stimulate conversation. See, this is where you need to employ the art or the practice, the tool of listening. You're listening because you want to then frame a question around what you've heard, not a question around or a statement around how you can better their story. Someone tells you a story of how they caught a fish that was this big. Well, I caught a fish that was this big and that was just between the eyes. (laughs) That's the sort of fisherman I am. Hey, hey? We need to ask questions based upon what we listen to and what we hear. So then we draw out the conversation. We draw people out. We start to get to know people. When we start focusing on ways to get people talking about a topic, and it doesn't have to be spiritual matters that you talk about, you'll be surprised how they will respond to the invitation to engage with others if they believe that you are interested in hearing what they have to say. People open up when we show that we're genuinely interested in them as a person. People do learn best when they discover truths for themselves. And a facilitated small group process is guided by the Holy Spirit is the ideal environment for a spiritual transformation. By facilitating discovery of biblical truths within a relational or supportive small group, you provide an opportunity for people to engage fully in the process of learning. Coming up in, uh, not this Saturday, but the following Saturday on the 20th of January, if you're genuinely interested in how to start a Q place or facilitating one of our small groups here at Infused Church, I'd invite you to come along. From nine sorry, from ten until eleven on that Saturday morning, it will not be any more than an hour, I guarantee it. Trust me. But if you're interested in, in hosting a, a Q place, Facilitating a queue place or facilitating a small group, come along on that Saturday morning. I think you may be interested. I know that it will challenge you, but it's a great challenge. My heart is that people would come up to us as a church, as a people, and they'd see something different about us, and they'd say, what's different about you? we talk to them. We'd have the courage to, to use the tools that, that God's placed within our reach. Simple tools that everybody can use at any time of the day or night. And we can engage people in a conversation about spiritual things. Who'd have thought that a pastor and a molecular biologist could have a spiritual conversation on a Saturday morning after finishing a park run. Who'd have thought that you could have had a conversation with your neighbor who lives so different from you, who looks so different from you? Who'd have thought that you could have had a conversation about God, about religion, however they want to term it? That's fine. It opens the door. I don't mind being called religious. Because I know that's not the truth for a start. But I also know that that's an open door. That the Holy Spirit has just opened up. And I say, why would you think I'm religious? Or what do you think about religion? What do you think about God? What do you think about the Bible? What do you do for a job? What do you do for a How's your family? Why are you at the park run? Why do you volunteer so much? Let's look for places where we can connect more and more with spiritual conversations with people that may not live like us, they may not believe like us, but God's deeply interested in them. Let's stand. I hope you got something out of that. I did. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you for the goodness of God that's in them and on them and around them. I thank you for your goodness going ahead of them. I thank you for open doors this week. I pray that we would use the tools that you've placed in our hands. I pray that we would have the courage to step through and across the threshold of doors that you open this week, Lord, to engage someone in a spiritual conversation and just to love them, just to love them, just to find out more about them and to show genuine interest in them. Heavenly Father, help us to have those conversations this week. Help us, Lord God, to start to talk more and more about you as much as we talk about the football sport in general, life. Help us to have conversations about you. Help us to do that, Lord. Help us to have that courage, I pray, in the wonderful name of Jesus.